Hey everyone, welcome back for part three of my interview with Reverend Tom Gibbons. If you haven't listened to parts one and two, I recommend you check those out first. On our third and final part of my talk with Tom, we wrap up our discussion about megachurches and then get into the nitty gritty about actually running and operating a church. We talk about church finances, the various funds available to the congregation and how they're utilized, salaries, discretionary funds, remodeling and upgrading a church and then we get into a little bit of a talk about, you know, how much is too much? When is, when does a church go from helping the community and, and upgrading its facilities to, you know, becoming something more than that, maybe losing focus of kind of their, their purpose. And then after that, we get into a bit of a talk about how Tom navigates unpleasant parishioners, um, people who have their hands out maybe a little bit too much and how he handles that. And then we spend a bit of time talking about a little bit more personal discussions with regards to me and my family in the church and how Tom helped my family in times of need. And uh, we kind of wrap it up from there. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. So, so St. Barnabas, you know, it's, we said it's about a 400-member church, give or take, but it's the, the church facilities themselves. I've not been in years, so I don't know how much they've changed. Oh, it'll blow your mind, Chris, I really. Bet, oh, yeah. yeah, there have been big changes. Well, I think right before I left was when the, the annex to the left, uh, to the right of the sanctuary I think that had just gotten finished. I might have seen it and enjoyed it once or twice before it kind of fully right, fizzled out. Right. Um, but you, you, there's still a nice facility. There's a nice yes. infrastructure there. Yes. All for 400 people, 100 to 150 of them bark, show up every week. Um, That's at worship. Yeah. How, how we, we were talking about, you know, money in the church and is that very Christian, et cetera. Where do you find that line? How Did you ever look at parts of St. Barnabas and go, that's a little too covetous, that's a little too fancy? Yes. Um, like what kind of things? Well... Um, were there projects or certain things? The, that the usual targets um, were the music budget and outreach. They were the, the kind of, okay, there's fat there, let's cut it. Uh, and I, you know, that's that's untenable, at least from my point of view. You don't ever a, cut outreach. No. Um, no. What all goes into outreach? Like money, I remember, my money mom, that goes outside the walls. Okay, that's the so best like, way to put it. I remember when my mom was single, mom really struggling. Our refrigerator died. My mom went to you saying, "I don't know what else to do," and I don't know if it was a gift or a loan, but I think she ended up getting a couple hundred dollars from the church. Oh, she did. Yeah, and and lots of people do. Yeah, is that um, part of the outreach budget? Oh yes. Okay, I didn't know if that was a different. Well, technically, that's in a place by itself. It's called the pastor's discretionary fund. Oh. Or as one of my colleagues says, that's your slush fund. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's it is. But it seems like an incredibly important function of Absolutely the church crucial. as a community yep. pillar. Yep. yep. Oh yeah, you've got to have that. Um. So you know, is that a separate part of the outreach budget, or is that even like No, it's not even from... an outreach. Oh, okay. Uh, outreach is, like I say, you know, when it came to... Mission trip budgets and stuff like that? Mission trip budgets are there. Um, 
just contributions to outside organizations, charities, various things like that. How, who determines, how is it determined what charities get money, what don't, who gets how much? The is outreach the committee. Okay. They, okay. they kind of do all the vetting and, um, and that's really absolutely necessary uh, to, to have things function the right way. So what kind of things, you were saying there, are, there were parts of how money was spent that you felt was, I don't want to say unchristian, but was excessive. What kind of things were, were those? Well, you know, from time to time, it's salaries. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's one of those one of those deals. Everyone's trying to do right by giving staff raises and stuff like that. But Did you, you know, have to turn down your own pay raises on occasion? Oh, yeah. As in, I don't, it, not necessarily I don't deserve this, but I make enough, let's put that money elsewhere? Correct. And it was usually when, when, when the knives were out and the belts were tight, um, they were always looking for something to cut. Did and you that, take pay cuts? At times, or was it more of a? No, I I'm haven't turning, had to do that. I'm I, turning down a pay raise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's more an issue of you know everyone's got to feel this, mm-hmm. so we we need not to have it. I, I'm curious, and you can tell me to f off, but can you tell me like what you were making towards the like what is a church that size? What does a senior pastor make a year? If that's too personal, well, to understand. no, 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 I don't. I don't mind. That was that was open for all to see, Chris. Well, if I was if, if I was if you'd the... ever gone to a congregational meeting, would have said, "Oh, look." Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not just the congregation who sees it; the whole presbytery sees it. Oh, yeah. There are no secret, uh, you know, salary is one of those wide open, mm-hmm. wide open things. I think toward the end, I was making around seventy thousand or thereabouts. That feels low. Well, I I just assume I to me I just assume. I, and maybe that's just me, my naive. I just figured that was a six-figure job. No, interesting. I've never had a six-figure job, <laughs> um, and I, you know. But at the same time, I guess is that seventy thousand. Are there also stipend? Do you get stipends for anything? Yeah, like house or a car or gas. No, or? no, that comes out of the seventy. Okay, uh, but um, yeah, there are others. I have a, a you know an eight thousand dollar expense allowance mm. which can be used for mainly it's car yeah but it's other stuff too but I, so, I also know like St. Barnabas had the house on the property you didn't live there it no. was rented out we actually I was classmates with the family who lived there but if you had chosen to live there uh, I assume that's rent free or low cost subsidized it would be rent free but the salary would be reduced in a oh. commensurate way okay okay um, that has changed too, by the way. It's How's been that? completely refurbished. It is now oh, a retreat house? house. It's now being used as like a, um, youth? a spiritual center, uh, but also a social action center. Um, one of the women who who operates there is is riding point on uh, gun buybacks and stuff like that. That the church is doing. Well, we're not going to do the gun buyback. Uh-huh. She wants the church to do it. Gotcha. But um, when I say we, I didn't make that decision. Katie did. Yeah. Katie said, you know, if you had given us enough lead time, because she wants to do this in February, if you'd given us a lead time for security and a whole bunch of other stuff, we might have said yes, but Interesting. not now. And again, that's something, 
it's always so interesting to me things that the church is doing that the community or government is not, which is something church should do, I think. But yeah, the government's not going to do gun buybacks. We'll do gun buybacks. Right. We'll, government's not giving our kids sex ed. We'll give we'll our kids it. sex ed. <laughs> yeah, which well is a conservative argument for church, but yeah, it, it's yeah. In fact, that that argument was used, um, started being used in the Reagan era. You know, government shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Churches do it. Well, are you kidding me? Have you got any idea? Uh, how, mean, s- how tight your budgets are yeah, and how hard. 2% is about what the churches could do. And yeah. that's if they were operating with the full, you know. And assuming that the decline in church membership didn't continue, et cetera, right, et cetera. Yeah. Right, all true. But that's that's been used by conservatives for a long time. Yeah. And it's just, as so much is, errant nonsense. Yeah. I... Uh, So, so I guess circling back a little bit. So, what other things? How how much is is too much for you? Like, how big is too big? And not necessarily geographic side, but the money and everything. Because Saint Barnabas was not a poor church. No, it was a very nice church with a lot of nice amenities and the new building that got built. Our sanctuary was an architecturally really neat building. Yep, it was not just a steep. So. Is it was that too ornate, or where's the line to you personally? I know you can't speak for everyone, but where is that line? It's a good question. Um, well, let me preface the response by saying if a church is not in debt, it's not doing anything. Oh, interesting. I never thought about it that way. Um, are there religious <clears throat> bonds that you guys take yeah, out? There are. There are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're Is offered by the, the denomination. Yeah. Okay. Um, we didn't. We didn't avail ourselves of it. We just borrowed the money from the bank. Mm. But the are the interest rates better or worse that way? Um, it's it's pretty much a wash, really. We we get we've gotten really good. Is rates. it more just about being more self sufficient doing it that way, or why why go through a bank versus? Versus, well, because the the denomination has a lot of strings attached. Okay. Um, that, uh, you know, I found annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we got we got just a, a straight up loan, and anytime we've done that, I've never not had a building fund. For instance, the sanctuary got paid off, and we had the new building. You know, so that's still being paid off. Then they did a super remodel, um, which I... Of the sanctuary? No, of the rest of the church. Oh, okay. You wouldn't recognize it. You would not recognize yeah. it. And I, that began under my, uh, my time, but I put Katie in charge of it uh, rather than me because I, I was going to be gone. You know she has to see it through, not you. She has to see it through, exactly. Yeah. Or if she stays on the staff... Um, I was hoping she'd see it through as the senior pastor, and that's how it worked out. But um, it's really it's amazing, and it's it's not over the top, but it's beautiful. And I, you know, that's that's sort of where I draw the line. I've got to tr- it'd be helpful to have things be beautiful. What's a proposal 
for something new or added or whatever, plasma screens in the sanctuary, whatever. What was a proposal you heard and you're just like, no. <laughs> on, on not even necessarily money, but like on that's just, that's. Oh, I'll, I've, got, I've got a good one for you. One of the wealthiest members of the congregation who left the church, by the way, um, because I was too liberal. Mm-hmm. One of the things he said, he came, came up to me and said, look, we're trying to retire the, the building fund at the time we were. As and he in said, pay it all off. As pay it all yeah. off, and then at the same time take on new debt for the Providence Hall, the you know up there to the as you come out of the sanctuary, it's on the left. Um, okay. The the new building. The new building. He wanted to do more to the new building. No, what he wanted to do, he he said, I've got a hundred thousand dollars here, and I will be glad to put that to the building fund into the building fund if. You will build a bell tower at Carillon um, because my mother really enjoyed the fact that the chimes could ring and all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Now that I think about it, St. Barnabas never really had a, the old the old chapel didn't mm-hmm. have a bell either. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm thinking about the old church before that. Yeah, know. Preston Hills. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it did. And I just said, you know, I can't make that decision. And I, d- I think it's a waste of your money. To, why don't do we that. have, why didn't the church have bells? Is there a specific reason? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I think that everything was being done, you know, when that the place where we met for confirmation class, mm-hmm. yeah. that old building, it was built on a wing and a prayer and with some of the worst ingredients ever. Okay. Just, it was terrible. Like leaks and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, we had leaks everywhere. We still have leaks, but, you know, these were pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And all of that has been completely redone. And, in fact, the boys' club, boys' and girls' clubs of Dallas now use those facilities. Is there a gym at St. Barnabas? No. Okay. I didn't know if maybe one would have been added or something. No, but the Providence Hall could be used as a gym. Oh, okay. And it's got a, you know, it's got a kitchen... The initial reason for that was we. I was thinking it made sense, given where we're located, to in, you know start a Head Start program, mm-hmm. and you can't do that without a commercial kitchen. Yeah. So the one we have now is commercial, but that that idea kind of went away. Because yeah, there was that small kitchen on the the other wing, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, that's still there, but completely redone. Redone. Do they still do, I forget what it's called, but the Wednesday Youth, what was it? Oh, Logos? Yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, it went away? Was there just not enough participation? Yeah, you know, that's a decision of my successor. Yeah. Um, And there were some people who were getting tired um, who had been doing it for a while. Mm. So, no, the answer to that is no. They still do Wednesday programming. Um, No. I remember that just being a, a neat vehicle to get to know some of the, because as a, you know, when you're eight, nine, 10, 12, I don't know who any of these old people are. Like, it, it, as opposed exactly. to, as opposed to getting to know a couple people. And then I see him in church and it's, hey, give him a hug. I know that guy. He's nice. It's, right. Um, it kind of, again, community. I felt like it was good at. I agree. I, I felt that way too. Yeah. But there are some, you know, 
it's okay. There, there are, they've got other avenues for that. So, so with community, there are your favorites and there are the assholes. There are the people you don't like. And I wanted to talk about that because, again, church, you always think about the positives and the happy. But at church, I'm sure you're dealing with people who are assholes and people who you, you're a human. You, I'm sure you have judged. There's one thing I'm going to ask you about here in a minute, but there's got to be people you interpersonally can't stand. Correct. How, as it, in a lot of ways of life, you could just go, meh. Fuck that guy, and I don't have to deal with him. You, your position, you don't really have that luxury as much. How does that work for you? Um, and what kind of person does Tom Gibbons find an asshole? Like, what is, like, <laughs> I'm curious, like, the kind of personality where you're just like, mm, ugh. like, I'm, because again, I, as a kid, church, I have kind of the Pollyanna. Good. Everybody's good. Everybody's nice. Everybody gets along. But now as a grown-up, as an adult, I know, oh, I know that there had to be people there who were just shitheads. That, Absolutely. That caused trouble, that caused drama, that stirred up shit. We have very few of them there, though. Um, That's good. Uh, yeah, it is good. That was, that was, that, uh, it's an incredibly fortunate thing. Was or it, was or it, those that, that are, tend to keep a low profile. Do you think that was, I don't want to say intentional, but was it more just lucky that they didn't come up or that you've created an entire ecosystem that kind of pushes those people to the margins more? Or a, little, a little of both. I think I told you before, no senior pastor there stayed a briefer time than 10 years, except the first installed pastor, and mm -hmm. that was because he went to another church. But when someone stays that long... Um, they tend to, they tend to create a, an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It's you know the old shadow of the leader. Are you familiar with that I concept? Don't think so. Well, that the shadow of the leader gets cast into his or her organization. Okay. Simply by the way they they operate. I like that. And um, and when so when you've had a number of long term pastorates. I feel like this is a really polite way for you to pat yourself on the back. Well. Um, <laughs> I'm mostly joking, but at the same time, I, I think it's true. You, you, like you said, you were the shepherd of that group, and you shepherded it pretty well, well where you wanted it to go. Pretty much. Without, and, and I have to say this, I, without, um, well, without nixing ideas that come from other people. I mean, it, it was a cooperative thing. But yeah, I guess I guess that's so. Um, but I'm part of a line of people who, um, you know, it was a good church. Good churches don't just happen. Yeah. Um, they they are the product of good leadership, and and that church before I arrived there had had good leadership. Do you? I don't, I don't even know how feasible this is because you've you're giving sermons every Sunday as the pastor, but do you have much opportunity to visit other churches and see how they do stuff? Or is that not really a... You mean while priority? I'm serving one church? Yeah. Do you... No, I don't really. know how, how interconnected they are. I don't know if you go to Austin's church and see how Austin runs stuff or... 
doesn't really work that way. Doesn't work that way, although, you know, I have a number of pastors who are friends, and um, there are eight of us who have pretty well bonded over a particular um, a particular issue within the church mm-hmm. um, who have been together for 25 years. Can you share what that issue is? Well, oh, the, the issue was, uh, why is it that um, we... Why is it that we, as mid-sized church pastors, can't grow our churches into a corporate size? You know, it had to do with church growth. Mm-hmm. And we were just going to examine that. Did you want to grow to that corporate size? No, but, well, a couple of us did, but it wasn't on my radar. Um, but I found it an interesting question, and that maybe we ought to look into it. One of the things that we, we discovered is that no Presbyterian church has grown to the corporate size. I was going to say some of the Korean ones, right? Oh, yeah, but no Presbyterian church has grown to the corporate size by a pastor arriving when it's a mid-sized church and then growing it. There was no one in our denomination who had ever done that. There were plenty of pastors who had gone there, established a church, stayed there, and grew it into a megachurch. Oh, I see. But not anyone who had arrived there. You're not going to take over a church and grow it there. And grow You're going to grow it from the ground up. Right. Okay. And that was true in the whole denomination. There were other denominations who had people who had done that. What is it, the Presbyterianism that... I don't keeps, know. Really? We didn't ever reach a conclusion... And we got money from the Lilly Foundation to study that, which we did. And that money ran out after two years. So since that, we just spend, we just get together once a year and party. <laughs> yeah, it's when I think about the mega church, and, and I'm sure there are corporate churches, like you said, that are not mega churches. Correct. Correct. Um, what's what's the membership size that kind of Triggers the, the corporate thing. Yeah, usually about a thousand members. Okay, I don't think of super large churches, even that size. I don't think about a lot of Presbyterian churches as that big. I don't. I wonder what it is about Presbyterianism, and I think, to a lesser degree, Method Methodist. Although I guess there is the First United Methodist of Richard. That one's a pretty big. It's very church. large, but even then, it's still not. It's pretty close to mega. Is it? Yeah, okay. It's, it's also grown more since I've left, so yes. I could be wrong. But it, yeah, Presbyterianism in general doesn't seem to really lend itself to the mega churches. Is I wonder if maybe it's more of that focus on the community. I don't I don't know. I'm talking out of my my butt. Well, but. who knows? I mean, that may be true in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's I, I wanted to ask you cuz I don't know. What is it about Koreans? in the Presbyterian Church? Because um, I remember learning, and I had a friend who was Korean who was Presbyterian, and I don't. I, I remember learning the biggest Presbyterian church in, I don't know if it was the country or the, the region or what, but it was the Korean Presbyterian Church, right? In what region? Maybe it was the Dallas area? Um, oh, the biggest Presbyterian church within Richardson. Uh-huh. Is um, maybe that's what it Benary. was. yeah, over there at yeah, Abrams. And, yeah, yeah, that is what I'm thinking of. Well, here's the other thing: the largest church in the world is a Presbyterian church. Really? Yeah. Is it also a Korean? Yes. Is it in what Seoul? Seoul. 
Young Knock Presbyterian Church. That's crazy. The 45,000 members. Get out. <laughs> so was it just, how did Presbyterianism get to Korea? Korea? Was it just outreach? The 19th century. That's how far back it goes. Yeah, the, the Presbyterian Church had a major, major mission outreach in the 19th century, mm-hmm. led by the Underwood family. Um, and they were, it took root. Um, it took root in Korea like nobody's business. I, I, I can't remember the exact, the exact percentages, but the fact is that, that it's something like 60%, something along the lines of 60% of the Koreans are Christians. And about forty percent of the Christians are Presbyterian. That's nuts. I remember hearing that. that it's and just a mind blowing. I'm going to have to read up on just that whole history. Yeah, that's it's interesting. it's very interesting. I wanna. Uh, we're we're getting closer to wrapping up. I I could keep going for another hour or two with you, yeah. but I wanted to circle back what we were talking about. How you deal with assholes in the church? Because <laughs> it's it interests me, um, and I'm I'm a sucker for a good anecdote. But I remember, I'm, I'm going to loosely tie this in with my family. I I'm not calling my dad an asshole, but I remember when my parents divorced, which you alluded to. You helped my mom out in a couple different situations. Um, you helped her find a car. I don't think you find it. I don't think you helped fund the car, but you. Oh, I know this guy who gets a good car that's reliable that'll get you to and from work. Talk to this guy. You would do stuff like that. You, I remember the, the refrigerator the church yep. paid for. Yep. Um, first off, is that money? Are those ever loans, or is it? Hey, we'll give you. Or is that just a bad dynamic? And it's more of a here, get, take care of it. It's a little bit like that. You know, here, take care of it. And if you get um, the money to pay it back one day, awesome. But it's then, not expected. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's I not gotcha. expected, and we've had people who've come back and paid. Yeah, um, or maybe not necessarily repaid it, but I've got money now. You gave me six hundred dollars back in the day. Here's a thousand dollars because I'm doing okay now. Now we haven't had that happen, but, <laughs> but there has been uh, there has been you know attempts to repay. But, but anyway, so it's usually more of a, a gift, a grant than yeah. a loan. Okay, absolutely. But so the church helped my mom out in several ways. Um, I remember. My dad, when all of this happened, I don't, I don't know the specifics really well, but I do know that my dad reached out to you at some point and you said, I can't help you. You kind of told my dad he was on his own. Um, how What makes you make that decision? And I'm not saying that I, I get... I think at the time your father had joined Highland Park or something like that. I think that happened Church. later. I don't. Was remember. it later? I think so. Well, it, it was. Um, let's just say he was not engaged in the life of the church the way your mom was. No, and he never was. Um, and and, uh, you know, frankly, I just didn't find it an authentic. I I hate to say that to no, you, no, but I'm I not, didn't find there's it an no, authentic. Um, yeah, this is a real real need. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. I, I, the details of it are completely lost to and me, that's but fine. I remember I, I, saying that. But I, and I only remember hearing my mom telling me something along the lines of, yeah, your dad went to Tom, and Tom basically said, doors effectively closed to you. I can't 
help you. You'll have to go somewhere else. Um, which makes sense because, again, church was mostly a me and my mom thing. Um, my sister went because my sister was a kid and had to go. Right, right. Um, How is she, by the way? Is she doing My well? sister? Yeah. She's, she's good. She she's, owns a house in St. Louis. <coughs> we'll, we'll talk about some of that dynamic off okay. the radio. All right. All right. Um, but she's doing well. She's, I, I joke if my mom, I got a lot of my mom's per, interpersonal skills, as good or not good as they are. <laughs> My sister got a little bit more on my dad's. And I think if either of us had gotten 20, 30% more of the other, we'd both be exponentially more successful than we are. <laughs> um, if I had gotten any of my sister's type anus, I would be making God knows how much money. I'm sure. Of that. But instead, I'm able to socialize and interact with people a little bit better because I got that from my mom. And I think if my sister, same thing, was able to interact with people as effectively as, you know, my mom or to a degree me, I think she would also be even better where she gotcha. is. But so anyway, so my sister's good. Um, but yeah, so you, you rejected my, my father rejected is not the right word, but you, you, you basically, and I get what you're saying. You've never really been a part of this church only tacitly loosely. Um, I, I, I can't do anything for you. I get that. What I want to know is how often do you have to make those kind of, not decisions, but action, how often do you have to turn somebody away? And why do you turn people away? Well, usually it's, um, usually it's because someone has approached me with a sense of entitlement. Is that, now, that's not necessarily what my dad did, was No, it? not necessarily okay. what your dad did, but... That's, you know, one of my criteria for rejection. Like how? Do you have like an example? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a guy who plies his trade uh, with all the Richardson churches. Um, and he comes in and he gives you, he gives you a sob story. Oh. And um, he's, you know, it's, it's circumstances have really, have really bitten me and... Um, People haven't been nice to me. Uh, woe is me. And um, that woe is me is often um, simply, I, I haven't done anything wrong. Mm. It's been everybody else. Mm. And that's why I am where I am. I could see my dad so giving I, some of that, though. Well, if that's true, then, then I would have cast him in the entitlement group. Yeah. Okay. Do you, you know well, that, go ahead. Well, do you have? I didn't even think about that. I assume you, there's got to be a a collection of people who just kind of try to hustle churches. Oh, I didn't even. I've never thought about that. It makes sense. We had to deal. I mean, that's that's where a, an awful lot of office time is dealing with that. There's people going church to church going, oh, man, it's really hard for me. Yeah, can you help right. me out? Can you help me out? Which seems, again, like my mom, you can go, well, she's contributed to this church in various ways over time. She's oh, been no a question. member of the community. I know this person. Yeah. And I know what her needs are. Yeah. Ver you know, it, I know her circumstances. I know yeah. whatever. Yeah. Versus, oh, this guy walked in and he's singing a sob story. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. let me ask you this. Do you get to a point, like, let's say my mom who kind of went out of her way over time to better herself and, and get a career in banking later. Yeah. 
do you have people <clears throat> kind of similar situation? I'm like, hey, I need a fridge. But they never really take the additional steps to kind of get out of that circumstance or can't get a, Do you have a point where you have to eventually cut somebody off? Oh, yeah. Where it's just a constant. Oh, yeah. So, not, and I don't necessarily mean sob story, but it's like at some point you've got to take some actions to yes. stop these bad things from happening and I can't keep being your crutch. How, what goes in? How does, like, when do you? Well, I can, I can use an example yeah. um, of, a, of a church member who is maybe at this very moment creating a sob story for Katie. Mm-hmm. He created a number of them for me. Um, and is it is it necessarily inauthentic, or is it just, yeah, man, a lot of a lot of bad things have happened to you, but what are you doing to get out of the way of the bad things? Yeah, and it's not that so much. It's really more a matter of how are you how are you dealing with this? You know, you really haven't. Every time I see you, your hands out. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah. And this is someone who who attends regularly. Yeah. But anytime he comes into my office, he came into my office with his hands out. Yeah. That's rough. Well, you know, he's been cut off. (laughs) Yeah. What does that conversation look like? How do you tell somebody that you have helped or that is a member of the church, like... What? How do you word that to somebody? Like, well, you just say, "Look, we have a discretionary fund. It can be used for people who are who are really in trouble. You've come back to the well too many times." Oh, okay, yeah. We have other people to help. There are other people that that can count on that. Have you had people that, like, I think my mom actually just had to come to you eventually, and I know it devastated her to even have to ask. I know it did. Because my mom's... I know it did. Yeah. I, <laughs> and especially because I know we hadn't been going to church for a while, but she still viewed you as somebody she could go to, but I knew she didn't like going, oh, I haven't been to church in three or four years, but I really need some help. Do you Have you had situations where they don't even come to you and you go, hey, look, like you can just see the circumstances? Have you yes. ever proactively gone and just said... yes. What what kind of can you give me an example? Well, yeah, I guess I can. Um, it it was a Christmas time. We were in Advent, mm-hmm. and it was you know moving toward Christmas. And I just called, um, and it was a family headed by a, a single parent. And I just called her and said, "Look, um, if there's anything that that can be done to make." Christmas better for your household, I want you to call me, you know, consider this, you know, kind of an open door, call me and we'll make it happen. Yeah. And that's, that's the long and short of it. She did. Have you had people where they're, I'm, I'm talking to you, Tom, and uh, this is going on, this is going on in my life. And you know what, this, my, my car, my gasket just blue and this and this and, th- and they're talking to you but they're not saying Tom any money for a head gasket have you ever just gone can I take care of your head G- d- does that happen too where oh, yeah. people talk about problems and you just go you know I can help with this right does that happen it does happen I've 
never had it happen with a member, but I've had it happen with people um, from off the street. For instance, guy shows up, he's Mexican, he's Presbyterian, he's part of the Presbyterian Church of Mexico, and he said, you know, my pastor told me that if I need anything, I need to come seek out a Presbyterian church. And I said, okay, what is it you want? He said, oh, you know, I, my car keeps breaking down and I need a water pump. And I said, well, okay, um, if you'll come with me, we'll go buy one for you at, at O'Reilly's. And, um, and I bought him a water pump. Yeah. And he was a happy camper. Yeah. But I wasn't going to give him money. Mm. Oh, interesting. Oh, I haven't eaten in days. Okay, get in my car. We'll go down. We'll feed you. Yeah. Have you... How often is it something like that versus a blank check? Versus, hey, here's $1,000 to... And I'm speaking in a round number. Here's $1,000 to get things in order, or is it more of a specific need? Well, usually it's more of a specific need. Yeah. You know, that I had this happen to me. It's one thing. It's more often that. Makes sense. There are times that people come in with their bills, their phone bills, their utility bills, their rent, Mm -hmm. and just say, look, here's what I'm dealing with. And, I, and the first thing that's out of my mouth is, have you been to Network? What's Network? Network of Community Ministries. Oh, okay. Because they have money that comes from the utilities themselves and from the state to help people who need, need to get over the hump in their bills. Oh, interesting. And a lot of times they say, yeah, I've been to Network and they won't help me. And I said, well, do you have a job? And they said, no, that's why the network didn't help me. And, and it's true. Network won't help anybody who doesn't have a job. They'll give them food, but nothing else. Mm. So, you know, at that, at that point, I just have to make a decision. And usually it'll be one of the bills that they've, that they've got there. Usually the phone bill, because that means their cell was on it. Yeah. Um. One of my probably my biggest issue politically is healthcare, especially having seen my mom have a stroke and be disabled, my dad's plethora of health. I, I've just mm-hmm. watched our healthcare system eat both my parents up. How frustrating is it? We were talking about the church stepping in when government wouldn't, yeah. but how frustrating is it when you see other governments in other countries who've kind of figured this out versus ours? And I'm sure you've seen. I can't even imagine how many healthcare stories and insurance health bills that you've helped with or had to hear about. How does it, how is it observing such a, I'll say unchristian healthcare system that we have? Um, what is that like for you? It's very Cause you're disturbing. watching, cause you're watching it. You're seeing a lot of people older in life. You're seeing people, I would imagine you're going to see a bias towards sometimes sick people who are going to be going to church a bit more. So I'm imagining you're in and out of hospitals a lot more than your average person. So you're seeing our healthcare system up close and personal more than most. 
Um, what is that like for you? <laughs> wow. To be, you know, to really have, be the most affluent nation in the world. Mm-hmm. In probably human history. Yeah. It just, it, it's hard to believe that over and over again, health care keeps coming up. Harry Truman, you, you're probably familiar with this, Harry Truman was the first one to propose a national health care mm-hmm. deal, which, and it went nowhere. But it's, it's come up any number of times. And it's always the lobbyists have, have ended up defeating it. It's, it. It is a crime where people end up on the hook. Yeah. They end up they end up on the hook big time. Well, I remember when my mom had a stroke, she probably had ten thousand dollars in savings. She had health insurance. She's she's more situated for a health emergency than over half of our country's population. Right. We'll put it that way. And I still watched her stroke leave her penniless in the matter of months. And she has been ever since. And it's and I look at that going, what more did you want from her? She paid for her insurance. She had insurance. She had money for a rainy day. And when all was said and done, we're left holding a garage sale selling almost everything she owns so she can come live with me. And it's just inconscionable to me. And I as a as a man of faith, I would imagine it's 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 gotta hurt even more. It does. Knowing as a society it's so contrary to the teachings. Well, you know, and it's the, yeah, as you said, your mom had health insurance and still she ends up like this. Yeah. So what about the least of these? I mean. Yeah, that's the thing is, imagine the people who have even less than us, that's. Where do they end up? Mm -hmm. You know, and they end up in bad places, really bad places. Well, you know, the, you know, the, the text. Of, of bankruptcies, you know, eighty percent of them are are somehow related health bills. To ho- health bills. Yeah. yeah, I had to explain when I was interning with the Canadian Parliament. I had to explain. Did you not know I did I that? I didn't know you did. Oh that. yeah, yeah. I I applied. I I was political science. I needed an internship, and I didn't want fuck all to do with Texas or U.S. government. So there was a Canadian internship program, and I applied, and I was the only Texan to apply. And so even though my grades were pretty half ass, <laughs> I got geographic diversity kind of, they were like, you were the only Texan to apply, so we picked you. Um, but so, yeah, so I interned um, and I purposely picked the New Democratic Party, which was kind of the, a party of Bernie Sanders, if you will, um, partly because it lined with my politics pretty well. But also at the time, they were a fourth, between a third and a fourth tier party. Canada has a lot more parties than we do. They do. And I was interested in the, well, what's that like versus the conservative and liberals, the two main parties. So I was like, oh, I want to I see that dynamic. And of course, I signed up for it. And then they had their federal election. It was a historical federal election where the NDP became the number two party in the right. country. So I get thrown in like two weeks after that election. And that was, it was neat. But so I had a uh, NDP member of parliament uh, from Vancouver and I actually had to explain to him, uh, my dad had a heart attack or something, and I explained how much money it cost and how much medical debt he had. I had to explain the concept of medical debt to a member of parliament. 
He's like, yeah, my dad owed like $10,000. He's like, well, but you said your dad had insurance, right? I was like, well, yeah. He's like, well, then how does that happen? I don't get it. I was like, 80 20. That's was, how Yeah, it I was happens. like, well, there's co insurance, there's co pays, there's deductibles, there's in network and out of network, blah, 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 blah. And he's just looking at me going, your country is insane. Like, that is just an absolutely absurd way of doing things. And I was like, yeah, you're telling me. But it uh, is absurd. It's, it's crazy. On the other hand, um, most of the, the democracies who have national health care mm-hmm. are much, much smaller than we are. Yeah. I mean, population-wise. Right. And I don't know how, I don't think it's ever been done um, in, a, in a system as large as ours. Um, I, well, I say these more in terms of numbers, not necessarily quality of care, but I believe Russia has some form, and I believe China does too. Now, I'm not necessarily saying we want Chinese healthcare or Russian healthcare, but that's more a function of those are the only countries of populations that big. That's true. And, and neither of them are um, what you might call republics. Yeah, right. Uh, um, but of the European nations, the Brits, Australians, Canadians, I mean, all part of that commonwealth. Yeah. Um, that they they're just their populations. I think combined aren't going to make ours. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I and I've yet to have a, a solid explanation of why this logic doesn't hold true. Economy of scale. Canada has thirty million people paying into healthcare, and it works. I don't understand why. I'm speaking in round numbers, of course, but three hundred million people paying in can't work either. I, I don't understand that. Plus, we've already got a single-payer system with Medicare and Medicaid. We and do. We, we've already got these in place. Except that's 80-20 also. Medicaid, I don't believe, is. Medicaid is not, but yeah. Medicare is. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and Medicare is losing money. Yeah, but I believe it's it still doesn't it cost less than... Uh, what the average American is, is losing in, with all the medical debt they're assuming. Probably. Like I think it's still co- more cost-effective than the alternative. I think. I could be wrong on that one. But I don't know. There are a lot of old people who are, who are, who are just that far away from total disaster. Yeah. Well, but and... Anyway, the, the bottom line is healthcare is amazingly trenchant as an mm-hmm. issue. Um, uh, you know, full disclosure, I, I don't buy Bernie Sanders's argument about health care for all, Medicare for all, or Elizabeth Warren's either. And a lot of it is because um, if they said this is the sort of thing that can be phased in over time, mm-hmm. then I might be Willing to, I, I'm a realist, and, yeah. the, and realistically, the, you're not going to flip a switch on. You can't June flip 23rd a switch and, exactly. Yeah, and you know that. Well, and I, frankly, I don't think Bernie could bring the Congress with him. Oh no, and I've I'm a huge Bernie supporter as a as in in terms of issues. I go back and forth on this with other Bernie supporters who are a little bit more Pollyanna, and and I kind of have to make the point and rain on the parade of 
even if Bernie gets elected, he's not going to magically get the things done that we want. I would still rather the guy in office who's trying, but I don't think President Bernie means single-payer health care. Um, but also, like you said, I, I get more pragmatic than many because I am a big nerd for this shit and always have been <laughs> and a know-it-all. But I, I've always said, yeah, the Obama had it right, and I believe it was Joe Lieberman killed it, the public option. I think the public option is the way to go. Absolutely. Give a low cost, call, call it a percentage of your income. That's what comes out of your paycheck. It's noted up, make it an option. And what's inevitably going to happen, and it's why the insurance company lobbied to kill it, is more and more people are going to self-select that that, option. that yeah that solution oh you're only paying $250 a month while i'm paying $400 a month but you don't have copays and blah 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 well shit i'll sign up for that too and yeah make it a make it an optional thing um unfortunately a lot of the rhetoric now is suddenly that's a centrist solution and i don't necessarily i don't think that it is i think it's I don't either. a means to an end of the socialist pinko lefty solution um which is really all i care about i don't I, I don't care how popular how we get there is. I care that we get there and that we can get there. Well, I'm with you on that. And that's that to me is the the realistic way to handle it. Yeah. Which, I mean... In- but at the same time, I think maybe, and, and I hate to sound like I'm hauling water for Bernie, but I think potentially what happens when, especially with the Congress, you get in there and kind of like Obama, you start... I think Obama's problem was he started with the goalposts too close to the center. So when stuff started getting pushed, there wasn't a lot of concessions to be made versus if you come in full single payer, once you get through the meat grinder of Congress, you probably got a pretty robust public option. You, you've, and again, I'm, I'm but being I, a little optimistic there, but when I, think I you, say Bernie couldn't get it through Congress, mm-hmm. he couldn't get it through Congress if it were a democratic Congress. Bernie yeah. is not well liked by his colleagues. Yeah. He's a pain in the ass. Yeah. As most idealists are. And but you so know, is Trump and look at what he's getting done with a Republican. But again, Well, no. think about that. I, I yeah, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, ah, I'm I, thinking, yeah, right. The Democratic Party's just like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're all over the map. I mean, look at our candidates for crying out loud. Yeah. Do you have a preferred candidate so far? Preferred, that's a tough one. I'll support whoever comes out of the out of yeah. the mix. But who is electable? Amy Klobuchar is electable. See, I think, because I talk about this a lot, I think in terms of electability versus Trump, not not in a normal, non-bizarro world election, but against Trump, I think Bernie is probably the most electable, followed by Biden. I think Biden, just because of name recognition and familiar, friendly face with Obama, I think Bernie, when I think about Think about how Trump debates and think about these candidates in a debate. I think Bernie's the only one that can actually stand up to Trump's bullshit and not back down and and throw bombs back at Trump, fight Trump the way Trump fights. I think Klobuchar gets walked all over. I like a lot of Warren's policies. I think Warren gets all walked all over. I think I think Trump doing Trump again. A normal election, a Mitt Romney or whoever, that's a whole different conversation. But I think strictly speaking of Trump, I think Bernie and Biden have the, well, Biden's a whole other conversation. But I think Bernie in the head-to-head 
against Trump because it's the the climate right now. The political climate is for populism. Well, I don't think the political climate is for a moderate like Klobuchar. Well, I I absolutely disagree with you. Yeah, she would she would hammer Trump into the ground in the debates. She's a prosecutor, former prosecutor. Yeah, and shows all over. No, I think she I I think she could hold her own. Uh, and I think I think Biden is going to be so um injured by what's coming with the Republicans yeah. and the impeachment process. And even if he isn't I th- I think he's I think he's lost a step upstairs. He has. But see in addition to everything else, he's a stutterer. Yeah. And so people think, you know, yeah. oh, well, that's his age. Well, some of it is, some of it isn't. Yeah. But uh I think you were right in the last election cycle. Had Bernie won the Democratic nomination, I think he could have beaten Trump. Yeah. Like a like like I, crazy. I still think I think when you think about the Rust Belt, when you think Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, those states that have really gotten just their asses handed to him economically the past 20, 30 years, I don't think the the type of voter who voted for Obama who voted for Trump, I don't think they're going to I don't think they're going Obama Trump Klobuchar. I think that type of voter is going Obama Trump Sanders. Or I don't like saying this, Tulsi Gabbard, who I think is a lunatic for her own various reasons. But well, but she, I, I she's feel very like, popular with the right wingers and Yeah. But I think a lot of those those voters, they're not necessarily a Republican Democrat your traditional voter. I think Bernie's message resonates with those more than a Klobuchar is going to. I'm not sure I agree with you, particularly when I look at Pennsylvania in particular. Mm -hmm. A lot of those people are now, they're beginning to see jobs come back. The jobs are coming back through fracking. Guess what? You know, the Green New Deal doesn't have any use for fracking. Yeah. Yeah. And both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie are associated with the Green New Deal. Yeah. I'm not saying it isn't a good, I think it's a good ideal. You're saying politically it's a tough deal to I think politically swallow. it's the death, the death knell for Bernie yeah. uh, in the Rust Belt states. Yeah, that's in a good those point. states. But, um, you know, like I say, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be voting that way. Um, regardless, regardless, <laughs> I uh, we're almost at three hours. Jeez, um, I'm gonna I'm, we're gonna get out of here. This has been great, Chris. I oh. I uh, you know I I have always admired your intellect, oh, and you can you. talk all you want about you know your grades and stuff like that. Of course, that has nothing to do with intellect. I'm 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 smart but, enough, but I'm lazy. Lazy as all. Well, I understand, but. Uh, <laughs> But when you were in confirmation class, that was part of the deal. I mean, you were not afraid to, to stick your oar in the water. No, and it never. was it was pretty sharp. I said, and I, you know, Judy will bear me out. You know, I said, ah, Chris Graves, he's a smart guy. <laughs> Thank and you. And you're still carrying on. Look Appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna get out of here with two, I hope, pretty layup questions for you. Um, do you have a favorite disciple? I have one, but I have absolutely no rational reason for it. Mine was always Simon Peter, and I don't know why. 
I just remember him being, when I was young, I was going, I like him. He was one of Jesus' closer buddies, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was. Yes, yeah. he was. And, um, <laughs> you know, as I, as I said once, from the pulpit, in fact, you know, James and John and Peter had a lot more in common with Mo Curley and Larry than they did with being a highly polished disciple. Really? They, they were. They were just, you know, if you read, well, of course, you were compelled to read straight through one of the Gospels. I don't know whether you did or not. You don't need to tell me that. But, <laughs> but that, if you read, these guys, you know, they're goofballs. Yeah. But they're lovable goofballs, and they stuck to it. And that's, that's part of, you know, that's part of the reason I like the Bible, because there's not polish on any of these people. Yeah. It's there. If you pay close attention and you think about who's writing and those kinds of things, it's, it's what it keeps me coming back. You know, Jesus wasn't looking for the perfect disciple. Just the guy who would ride with him? There were features of each of them that I think, you know, he needed them all, including Judas, needed him. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a parable for the church. Um, you know, we need them all. Yeah. So who's your favorite? Oh, I don't know. Peter's, Peter ranks real high in my estimation. Um, probably Matthew or Levi, as he's called. Um, you know, he was an, a functionary of the Romans and um, got up and left his counting house and bet it all on this guy from Nazareth. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book of the Bible? Luke. Yeah. That's why I named my son Luke. Yeah. Because it is the gospel of the gospel of redistribution of um, the reversal of the rich and poor. It's probably the most progressive book. I don't know whether that's it, but it is it is something that just spoke to me and it has for a long while. Yeah. But did you ever do you know I, I learned this in trivia one day and I always wanted the chance to ask you, do you know the only book of the Bible to not mention God or Jesus once? Uh Esther, I think. Yeah, it know. is. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's an interesting book. I, if you I, haven't read I, I've it, read, I read. I know we it sh, at Saint Barnabas, we've got taught a couple lessons out of it that I recall. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. I would have to go back and reread it, but I remember hearing some about Esther. Yeah, really. And who know, it, there's a great quotation there about who who knows if it's not such a time as this for you to come into the kingdom. It's a good you know, one. in other words, right now. Yeah. We need you. <laughs> it's true. Last question, I'll get you out of here. Okay. What does Jesus coming back today look like? And I I asked that question because I remember one sermon of yours way back in the day 
It was basically that song was really popular. What if God was one of us? Was that? Yep. That wasn't Melissa Etheridge, was it? No, it, it wasn't. Was, it was. Um, no, but I would have. I would have thought it'd be Joan Osborne. Yeah. Uh, there was a something Walla. Uh, oh, was really? a group group called Dishwalla. But you or something had. Like but that. you had a whole sermon about what if God was one of us, right? And would people even notice? And I remember that you're, again. I'm I'm a ten year old member, ten years old. You're doing remember. great, but you're doing great. I remember that kind of sticker. I was like, "Holy crap! What I'm sitting next to God on the bus? I have no idea." You could be, but so yeah. So what is what is Jesus returning today? Because Jesus, here I'm showing my Bible ignorance. He's supposed to come back one day, is he not? No, he claims that. So if he does, what does that look like? Does anybody even believe? Like, what is? Does anyone even believe it? Or is he? Do I we burn him down in a compound in Waco? Like, who, who do we? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think, I think he's already around. Really? Yeah. In what, what way? In the faces of the poor, in the people who are despised and cast out. He's already around. You think he's testing people that way? No. I think that's just where he is. Yeah. Not testing. Do you think if he were to come back as a as a single entity, per, you know, mm-hmm. if he comes back, do you think you would notice? Like, if, let's say CNN, there's a guy claiming to be Jesus of Nazareth. He's back. He's wandering around Syria, or maybe he's in Milwaukee. <laughs> Who knows? What would it take? I guess rather than do I think you would know, what would it take for you to to see that and go? Oh, yeah, he is. I feel like you, of, of most people, and people like you, with all of the training in theology, should... Yeah, it doesn't help. No. What would it take for you to... I mean, if it's not your religious teacher, what would it take for you to see that person and go, oh, yeah, he's come back? I should be looking for Jesus in everybody. Are you? Do you think you... On my best days. Yeah. Not all the time. Certainly not when I'm behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> it's funny. I was just about to ask, does, does Reverend Tom have, have road rage issues? I do. <laughs> I do indeed. That's where I use every word in my vocabulary. There you go. That's when you extra <laughs> ask for forgiveness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but but I, I'm, not, I'm not joking. Um, I don't think anybody's going to announce Jesus' arrival. No. And he's certainly not going to say, hey, look at me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. That's the kook over here. It's not Jesus. Interesting. I like that. I could keep going on if we're at three hours. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for doing this. I might pester you again to sit down for a second one of these just because the conversations are awesome. That'd be great. Um, Can we bring beer next time? If I, again, you're... Being a man of the cloth, I don't even think about that. Yeah, of course we can. Yeah. I'll bust out the whiskey if you'll drink it. I will. Are you a bourbon guy? Bourbon and scotch. We'll talk about that once we stop recording. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and until next time. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at It Never Hurts to Ask. And you can listen to It Never Hurts to Ask on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.